Amen. I want to invite you, my friends, to turn with me to the book of Acts, or swipe with me, or scroll with me, whatever it may be, to the book of Acts, chapter 2. We'll be reading not the entire chapter, but verses 1 through 14, and then we'll pick up uh, at verse 37 for just a few verses. I want to invite you to hear the story of the birth of the church. So hear this word. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Now they being all of the disciples after Jesus had ascended, and the one place is there in the upper room where they were hiding. They were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now, there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. Time out. That's just, there's a lot of different kinds of people there. You get it? We hear them in our own languages speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they're filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. And he goes on to say quite a bit. A wonderful sermon Peter shares to that whole gathered crowd. And let's drop on down to verse 37 to hear what happens next. And now when they heard this, Peter's proclamation, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourself from this corrupt generation. And so, those who welcomed his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. Do y'all remember the old rhyme? It goes like this. I love rhymes with hand motions. Here is the church. Here is the steeple. 
open it up and see all the people. These are these people right here. These are Pentecostal people because they're really wiggly. And uh, hold on, I got another one right here. So uh, here is the church. Here is the steeple. Open it up and see all the frozen chosen people. Thank you. Marianne's doing her job well today. Uh, uh, here, I got one more. Here are, the, here are the church. Here's the steeple. Open it up and here are all the Methodist people. They're a little wiggly, like they want to move and they want to laugh, but they're not quite sure if they still can, but they used to. When most people think of church, they think about church buildings and steeples and cathedrals. I mean, for example, this morning you might have thought or even said to somebody, I'm going to church. I'm going to church. And here we are worshiping here in this building. You know, the, if you look on the website for the city of Glenville, they had this great feature where it shows new residents, all the different groups in, in town, and there's a website dedicated to churches in the Glenville city area, and there are 30 churches listed there and all of their addresses so you know where each one of those buildings is. That's pretty great. I think that's a great thing to do. And you, you might, you might want to call first just to make sure somebody's there, because if you show up, you can show up to Bilo at like Thursday night, but if you show up to a church building on Thursday night, you might be by yourself. If you come here on a Thursday night, you can meet Blackie the cat, and it walks right up and down the, the way, but you might want to double check to make sure somebody's there. And so I'm thinking about this. When we think about church, we think about buildings, and so I get a little confused when I uh, start looking for information about the church in the Bible. So let's take a look at a couple places where we might find something about church. Um, I'm looking for information about church buildings. So when Jesus commissioned the church, I I would expect him to say something like this then. You know, he's about to ascend into heaven, and he brings all of his disciples together. And I imagine he would say something like this. All right, gentlemen, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and build a bunch of buildings and call them churches. And you shall occupy them once per week at 11 o'clock or maybe 9 if you're feeling froggy and couldn't sleep. But instead, Jesus says this from Matthew 28. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. No buildings, people. Okay, Jesus is talking about people there. I get that. So let's back up a little further on my little quest. What about uh, a few chapters earlier in this same gospel when Jesus casts his vision for the church? You know, all good leaders, they cast vision. And so he casts his vision for the church, and this is my favorite. He talks about building his church on a rock. That is some solid architectural decision-making right there. If he's going to build it, he's going to build it on a rock. So take a look at Matthew 16, 18. He says, And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Okay, so do you know what the name Peter means? Rock. It's like a pun. Who said the pun was the lowest form of humor? Jesus is using it. It's pretty funny. So Peter is the rock. Peter is the rock on which Jesus will build the church. The foundation that he's talking about is a person. So even though Jesus uses architectural language, we're not talking about buildings, we're talking about people. And this verse right here is one of only three times that the word church is used in the Gospels. 
Now, it's used in other places in the New Testament for sure, but each time the word church is used in the Gospels, it's spoken by Jesus, and the term that he would use in the Greek original language that these are translated from is not church. That comes from Scottish and German background. The church is ecclesia, ecclesia. Somebody say it with me, ecclesia. Bless you. Ecclesia. You might recognize that. You might have heard uh, the book of the Bible named Ecclesiastes, or if you've uh, heard some uh, church polity language, you might have heard of ecclesiastical things of that nature. But uh, that word, ecclesia, means a gathering or an assembly of called out people. Ecclesia in Jesus' day could happen when. Uh, a city called an ecclesia to come and make announcements in the center square. It could happen wherever. And Jesus calls the church an ecclesia, people, not buildings. Well, so here's my last effort uh, to figure out about the church uh, building, and I finally found it. I found it. I felt so good about myself. I've got it. Um, We just read about the birth of the church from the book of Acts a little while ago. And finally, I got it. There's a building there. There is a building. You can't prove me wrong because all of the disciples are sitting together in the upper room. In fact, in a week and a half or so, I get to go stand in that same upper room on my trip to Israel. I'm super excited. I'll tell you all about it one day. But there's a building right there. It's interesting, though, that when the Holy Spirit comes, they leave the building. When the Holy Spirit comes, they leave the building. They don't... Uh, they don't turn the upper room into a church. They don't say, oh, wow, Holy Spirit, you are here now. You have birthed the church. There's some people outside. I'll open the door. I'll send just two greeters out, no more than two. And uh, maybe we'll brew a little coffee and hope that a few of them come in. And, and we'll have a church service. No, they leave the building. And they go out. And they do the ministry. They take the church outside. And that day... 3,000 people became Christians. And I want you to look at what it says uh, in, at the end of that in Acts 2, uh, 46 through 47. It says this. It says, every day, this is about the whole group of new Christians, they met together in the temple and ate in their homes. And they shared food with gladness and simplicity, and they praised God and demonstrated God's goodness to everyone. And the Lord added daily to the community, those who are being saved. They, they, this is the group. They met and worshipped everywhere, everywhere. Now, somebody uh, might be thinking, perfect. I knew I brought, I brought my family on the perfect day to church because the preacher just verified what I've always known is that I, I can skip church and go fishing on the lake by myself and I can worship wherever I'm at. Fair enough, but hold your horses. You see, in this passage, they met every day and even in their homes. So do that first, and then you can go fishing on Sunday. I don't care what you're doing. I'm kidding. They met together, not by themselves. That's the point, the meeting together. But do you see that? They, the point is about their meeting, about their gathering, about them, not a building. And look at all the personal pronouns. It's not it or there, as in they're a place. It's them and there as in their possession. 
You see, there are a lot of church buildings in the world and a lot of really old church buildings. I'm going to see a few of them uh, a few weeks from now on my Holy Land pilgrimage. But the oldest church building that we know of dates back just to the third century. Just to the third century. That's 300 years after the church was born. And so what were they doing? Where were the buildings? Where does that leave us? And I think that one of our teenagers said it absolutely the best earlier this week. So last Wednesday, we had prime time. It's, by the way, you should come to prime time. We eat, we have fun, we grow together. Um, But last week, our youth did the devotion for prime time, and they told us about their recent trip to the Rock the Universe Christian Music Festival held at Universal Studios. And so a bunch of them came up and did a fantastic job. Everybody did a great job speaking. Um, When Peyton came up to share her experience of worshiping God with thousands of people from across the world, she said it was church because church isn't a building. Church is the people. Church is the people. You nailed it, Peyton. Thank you. And so the old rhyme is cute. Yes, here is the church, here is the steeple. Open it up and see all the people. But I think it might be more accurate like this. Here is the church. It is the people. And sometimes they worship under a steeple. You see, we are the church. We gather in buildings, and rightly so, for worship and building one another up. But we are the church. Wherever we go, every hour of the day, The church is not a place we go. Church is a people we are. Church isn't a place we go. Church is a people we are. And so that's what we're talking about today as we come to this fifth part of our series called Long Story Short. What we've been trying to do is equip everybody to further enjoy and and really just get some more insight when you're reading the Bible. And we've been doing that by taking this big picture view of the great grand story of God that the Bible tells. And so now we're on the fifth episode or the fifth season or the fifth series, if you will, and that is church. We've gone through creation and the fall and Israel and the story of Jesus and now the church. The church is the vehicle that continues to fulfill God's great rescue plan for a fallen world. God wants to rescue the world from sin and its disorder and its brokenness. And he began with a people called Israel. And then he brought forth his one and only son who empowers now the church. We carry out the mission of Jesus in the world today everywhere that we are. And we fulfill that promise that God first made way back to Abraham. Remember he told Abraham, you will be a light to the nations. So that we, wherever we are, shine the light of Jesus Christ so that people might know him. We make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And if you look at your Bible, most of the New Testament is made up of the story of the church. Jesus initiates it in the Gospels. The Holy Spirit births it in Acts. And the apostles guide the church through the letters and the epistles that make up a majority of the rest of the text. And so the Bible tells the story of the early church, but the story isn't over. The story of the church isn't over. You and I 
and all of our brothers and sisters across the world in the church. We are writing the next chapters of that story, even as we're gathered today. The church is our story. The church is our story. And so we're going to take a few minutes to take a look at what the Bible says about church while we answer, I think, what is a very important question. Why should I be a part of the church's story? Why should I be a part of the church's story? And we'll start with this. When you're a part of the church, you will find where you belong. When you're a part of the church, you will find where you belong. Now, that seems like a pretty bold claim, doesn't it? Like, oh, I guess, you know, he's in the church. Everybody's supposed to belong here. They want everybody to come in. And for whatever reason you think that may be, and of course, I'm supposed to say that because I work at the church, and so I want everybody here. Do I really believe, could I possibly really believe that every person will find the place where they belong when they're a part of the church? I absolutely believe it. Whether I'm sitting back there or up here. I absolutely believe it from the bottom of my toes. If you can really strain and believe to the point where it curls your toes, that's how much I believe that when you are a part of the church, you find where you belong. Because I've experienced it. Because I continue to experience it and I've seen it. I had a minimal church experience when I, until I was a teenager. We'd go here and there, never with my family, always with another family. And I come from the early part of my family's story as a story of a broken family, and that became a broken family under repair. You may or may not remember me talking about this, but my father walked out on my mother and I when I was a two-year-old. And as much as that seems like it doesn't quite matter, it, it really did. And the man that I call dad now, his name is Eric, and maybe you've met him. He's where I get my my permanent last name, Morrow. He stepped into our lives to make us a family again. And we were really blessed by that. But I still had to process the reality of being abandoned and having one of the two people that are supposed to have an unbreakable promise with you break it. I was angry. I was broken and aimless. And it started to change when I went to church with a friend. And we fell asleep on the back row for most of the service. And I had no idea what they were singing or why they were doing it. And I got embarrassed a couple times because they were standing up and I was sitting down and vice versa and vice versa. And I couldn't see because I didn't have my glasses, but I knew the preacher had red hair because my goodness was it red. And he started to talk. And I started to pay attention. He was telling the story that we talked about just a few weeks ago. God calling Abraham to leave his father's house and everything that he knew to go into a strange land. And the preacher was talking about how interesting that was. Where would Abraham get his mail? He didn't have a place to live anymore. How would his family visit him? He doesn't even know where he's going to live. He won't have an address. Where is his home? And then he said Abraham realized that God was his home. And I'll never forget what he said at the end. He said every person needs a home. Not just a place, but someone. Everybody needs a home. And God says, I am your home. And then he did that thing that I don't know if I've learned yet that preachers can do. He looked straight out at the congregation, and I swear he was looking this way, but he was looking right right into my eyes. And he said, come home. Come home. And I don't know what it was. 
But it was right then and there a complete stranger had spoken into my life everything that I did not even know that I needed. A home unbreakable. A place to belong that could not be shaken. That didn't matter what my last name was. It didn't, nobody could walk out on because it was secure in the heavens. And it is exactly what I needed. And that day set me on the course and changed my life forever. And the people of the church proved it to me through that congregation, through every congregation that I've been to, that it is in the church where people find where they belong. Everybody needs a place to belong. Everybody. And everything around us seems to promise that, yeah, I'll fulfill that need for you. And just a real quick aside, how many of you watch Super Bowl commercials? Did anybody watch the Super Bowl commercials? It's a great commercial that makes me think of this. I'm not knocking the commercial. Very artistically done. We were all crying. Even the dog was crying at the end of this commercial. It was a, a Google Home commercial. Did you all see this one? You know what Google Home is? It's, a, it's like the smart device that you can talk to, and it's always listening. We can talk about that part later. Um, but it's this guy. It's an older gentleman, and apparently he was a widower, and his wife had passed away, and he was reminiscing over pictures, and he would talk to his Google Home, he'd see the picture and he'd say, oh, I can't remember her name, but oh, Janie always used to love, hate my mustache. And then it would click on Google Home and he'd do another picture and he'd say, don't, don't forget, don't lose this picture or remind me to look at this. And he's talking to his Google Home device. And I thought, how sweet is that? That's really sweet. And then I realized Google's doing a pretty great job of pointing out what we need, but it's not going to give him what he needs. I'm glad that there are tools like that. But he needs a place to belong, a people to be with. And Google can't do that. There's nothing you can buy that can do that. There's nothing that you can do to get that. It's found through Christ in the church. And I wondered what it would be like if there was somebody down the street from him that could go and be Jesus and build that relationship. But you see, everywhere around us, it promises to fulfill that need, but anything you do will never scratch the fact that you and I are hardwired from the beginning to yearn for God, and there is nothing that will scratch that itch. No place you can put your feet, nothing you can put down your throat, nothing you can feast your eyes on that will scratch the itch of the yearning for God. In fact, one ancient Christian, St. Augustine, said it best. He said, my heart is restless until it finds its home in thee. And that's old English for you. And he's talking about God. You belong in the church. When you are a part of the church's story, you find where you belong. And I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking about with the family of God, the people adopted into God's family by Jesus Christ and sealed by the Spirit. Are you talking about me? I am absolutely talking about you. But I I don't care what the buts are. If you're just a fantastic human being, you belong here. If everybody thinks you're a fantastic human being, but you and one other person know better, you belong here. If you're struggling with drugs and alcohol, you belong here. If you've got so much baggage that you could fill a two-story house from the crawl space to the top of the attic, guess what? You belong here. If you're zero or if you're 150, you belong here. 
You belong here in the church. The Bible puts it this way, and it talks about the Bible as a, the church as a body. We have many parts in one body, the church. And though there are many of us, we are one body in Christ. And individually, we belong to each other. The church is like a body, but not just any body, but Christ's body. And there are many parts of the body, but they all belong together. They all do different things, but they only work where they're, when they're where they belong. Disembodied body parts don't really live that long. How many of you remember the Adams Family? If you watch the old TV show, Thing used to come out of a little box. He was just a little hand. And then by the time the movies came out, Thing learned to walk, and he'd just scurry around on his fingertips. He's just a hand. But that's a movie. You can't just be Thing and, and scurry around disembodied on your fingertips. You need a place to belong. You're a part of the body. You might be an earlobe or a nostril or an ear hair. That's me. Or a ligament or a pinky toe. It doesn't matter, but you belong. You belong. And the Bible uses another image for the church. It uses the image of the bride, the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ. And you can see that in the, uh, this verse from Ephesians. This talks about marriage, but it talks about uh, Christ and the church as an example. It says this, As for husbands, love your wives just like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And among the many amazing things that this image means, it means at minimum that Jesus loves the church and that Jesus is committed to the church. And we are the church, and that means that Christ loves and is committed to us. And so listen to me. That means that you are the beloved of Christ, that Christ loves you like a husband would love their wives. Where else are you going to hear that fact? Gather with whatever group you want to figure out what they need from you or what you're supposed to be doing, but you gather together with the church and you hear the truth that you are deeply and wonderfully loved by God. Now, Brian Wiggins is our lay leader. He's currently helping the youth get set up for the meal, but when he gets up here and he starts our church service with the announcements and usually a joke or two at my expense, Um, he often says this right before we sing. He says, I love you, and God loves you. And it's absolutely true. In the church, you belong, and you are deeply loved. And one more thing. When you're a part of the church, you'll find your place in the greatest mission in the world. You have a place in that. Did you know that you matter to God's great rescue plan for the world? That you matter to to what God is doing in the lives of other people. And it's through the church that we can discover how you can make the most significant difference in people's lives. Because the church is empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit allows us to do things that we can't do in our own natural inclinations. In fact, the Bible talks about the giving of spiritual gifts. That when you become a Christian... That the Spirit gives you gifts beyond your natural abilities. Maybe one, maybe a couple, but at least one. That is purpose is to help God's mission where you are and across the world. A spiritual gift is different from a talent. It's something that is purposefully given under the power of the Spirit to fulfill the mission of God. 
And 1 Corinthians 12 says this in a couple places. There are different spiritual gifts, but the same spirit. A lot of times when people think about ministry, one of the first things they think about is having to get up and talk. (laughs) Some people do that. But you know what? Not everybody does that. There are gifts of all kinds. You know right now, you witnessed it earlier, that you are glad that many of these folks have the spiritual gift of singing, and you know for a fact that I don't. You know why I'm preaching and not cooking lunch today? There are spiritual gifts, and and not every spiritual gift is the same, but it's all important, it's all vital, it all matters. And it continues, a a demonstration of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. And the Bible talks about many spiritual gifts, teaching and prayer and evangelism and pastoring and, and service and administration, wisdom, mercy, knowledge, generosity, hospitality is a spiritual gift. I didn't understand that until I got married. My wife has the gift of hospitality, the spiritual gift of hospitality. How many of you ever have somebody like randomly knock on your door at an unexpected time of day and you're like, yes, this is awesome. Amanda, when somebody knocks on the door unexpectedly, uh, she's like, fantastic. And all of a sudden I turn around and it's like, whoa, the dishes are done like Mary Poppins was here. It was a mess a second ago. There's food on the table that we didn't even have before. She's just whipped it up because there's a guest coming on over and as happy as can be. When somebody comes over unexpectedly, I go like this. Is that the UPS guy? I hope it was the UPS guy because I'm not ready. I, I don't know what to say to somebody right now. I haven't had a moment to think about it. The kitchen's a mess. I don't have anything to eat. What if I say the wrong thing? <laughs> if I peek out the blinds, will they know that I'm in here? Will they see me peek out the blinds? Because I don't have the gift of hospitality. No, please come over. I've grown out of it a little bit. Um, please come over. If you text first, I'll be your spiritual friend forever. Um, but you see the difference? Spiritual gifts. They're all vital and important. And your gift is essential to the world. And when we put them together, your gift and your gift and your gift and my gift and your gift, when we put them all together into the body of spiritual power and giftedness, do you know what happens? God works miracles in people's lives. Neighborhoods and communities and families change. You know, it wasn't too long ago there was a woman who came across some Glenville Methodists looking for help. She was trying to put her life together after escaping an absolutely abusive relationship. And somehow she ended up in Glenville. And she was at that point where there was one thing that was the turning point between thriving and rock bottom. There was going to be no middle point. It was one of those situations. And that one thing was something to wear to the two job interviews that she'd lined up. Because she knew how to work. She was willing to work. Just because she had been in a tough situation, it didn't mean that she wasn't a fully wonderful and capable person of doing that. But she had left with the clothes on her back a week and a half ago. And she couldn't get the job. And so a couple of women from our congregation went over to the thrift store, which was open yesterday and had a wonderful day of ministry. But they found a, a bunch of wonderful pieces of clothing there for her and what they couldn't find they actually went out and went shopping they went shopping for this lady so that she could go on her job interview very little of that happened in this building but that's church that's church and if you looked up the Tattnall Journal Sentinel this week you're going to see some Glenville Methodists in a nice big picture and article there's a group of men and women who had taken a lot of time 
to prepare themselves to give up three days and go into a forgotten town in South Georgia to deal with the aftermath of a forgotten-about hurricane. But you know who hadn't forgotten about the suffering and the difficulty? It was the people in that town. Hurricane Michael was not yesterday, but there are still trees on people's rooftops. There's still limbs taken down pasture fences, and they can't pasture their cows. There's still trees that have died and are in danger of continuing to fall on people's property. And you know, some people can afford to get those trees taken care of, and some people, the last thing they're ever going to be able to pay for is to get a tree taken care of. And this group of people felt gifted to use a chainsaw, (laughs) and they went over there and they took care of as much as they could for three days. And that happened over there. That's church. Church is the people who build a relationship with the women in promise of hope and give of their own money to make sure that they can thrive over there because they want to see somebody's life changed in Jesus Christ and be set free from addiction. Church is the man who invites other men, grown men, to lunch because he wants to encourage them multiple times per week and help them to know Jesus Christ. That's church. Church is the people who, who showed up uh, over at Eastside Baptist Church to put on uh, a night to shine. Last week, we saw a wonderful picture of our dear friend John who was at, uh, at the prom last week. It's church. Now, that one happened in a church building. You got me there. It's church. The people, the church is this. It's the people who are using their spiritual gifts in the schools to teach other people's children and not only teach them how to read and to do uh, arithmetic, but that somebody loves them. Somebody cares about them. That's church. It's what Peyton said. The church isn't a building. It's the people. And so wherever you go, the church is there. The power of the Spirit of God is there. The body of Christ is there seeking to invite people to know Jesus, to find forgiveness, to find healing and purpose, and to discover where they truly belong. And that is in the heart of God. The church is not a place we go. It's the people we are. The church is not a place we go. It's the people we are. We are the church. And the story of God's salvation to the world continues through us. The church is us. Pray with me. Father, send forward your spirit that we might be renewed in this moment. And that for whoever it is that has heard the great, wonderful story of the church that says, I need the place to belong. I have heard today, O God, that I am deeply loved by you and these people around me, and I need that. Father, speak to them, open their hearts, minister to them, draw them to respond to you. And for the one with a gift stirring in their soul, confirm it. And with the one afraid to take the risk to step out and use it, encourage them and bind us together in the name of Jesus. Amen.